2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Boy, what a lot in the news. Should Christine Blasey Ford show up if Trump and the GOP refuse to get the FBI involved? This uh, whole debate around this, should she show up? I mean, She has a whole variety of options, including just cutting a deal with some big news person. Sit down with Lester Holt like Donald Trump did. Do the interview for all of America to see or sit down with a female journalist. Barbara Walters is uh, no longer doing this kind of thing, but sit down and discuss these issues. The Republicans, by the way, are raising the stakes on this. I'll get to that in just a second. Also, all these dead animals in North Carolina. North Carolina has this extraordinarily huge uh, hog farm industry that is owned by a Chinese company, dumping mind-boggling amounts of blood and pus and poop. Hundreds of millions of gallons of this stuff now spreading all over the state as a result of this giant storm. This happened back a decade and a half ago with Hurricane Floyd and in 1999, and apparently nobody learned from it. The, the Chinese company just decided to jack up their profits. China uses a lot of pork. This from a piece in Pacific Standard by Emily Moon. She writes, after consolidating the industry in the early 2000s, Smithfield secured a monopoly on North Carolina and beyond, pushing out small farmers, outsourcing hog raising to beleaguered competitors and restructuring the the industry around large operations and even larger profits. Locals who once showed their pigs at state fairs were replaced with vast profitable operations, well documented for their abuses and risks. The Farms are known in the industry as confined animal feeding operations or CAFOs. With millions of hogs, she writes, comes a lot of waste. In these giant operations, feces, urine, and anything else that seeps beneath Penn's slatted floors, stillborn pigs, afterbirths, pesticides, blood form a liquefied slurry, which is then pumped into open-earth pits known in the industry as lagoons. Smithfield's lagoons cover 120,000 square feet, run 30 feet deep, according to Rolling Stone. That's dangerously close to the low coastal plain, which was the water table, this low coastal plain, which was once entirely wetlands. The pools contain a toxic brew that turns peptol bismol pink. Farmers say from its contents, chemical interactions includes uh, when ingested. Health hazards include higher risks of cancer, miscarriage, and infectious disease. And right now, if you go into one of these places and take pictures, you go to prison because of these anti-terrorism laws. The terrorists, of course, being people who are trying to expose what this Chinese company is doing in North Carolina with these hogs. So anyhow, I think that, number one, we didn't have giant hog operations 40, 50 years ago because the population of the United States was about two-thirds of what it is now. As I recall, we hit 200 million back in the 1980s. We're 340 million people now. So as our population has grown, our demands for meat have grown substantially. But if all of us just ate half as much meat, or even a quarter as much meat, A, we would be healthier, and B, these giant farming operations, to the extent that they're not being used to ship pork back to China, these giant operations could be scaled back to factory farms. We could go back to factory farms and break up some of these giant giant industry operations, which I think would be more humane, less hard on the planet, less hard on the local communities in North Carolina, and we would all be healthier as a result so my thoughts on that adela in los angeles is now kpfk hey adela am i saying your name right
3: hi art? tom yes you're saying it perfectly thank you so much okay. i'm calling because i wanted to touch on the hog situation that you were talking about in north carolina okay first of all my heart and prayers go out to everybody in north carolina everybody out there but you do have a lot of progressive followers, which is amazing. We have to stick together. Like you said, we have to be very graceful from now on. We can't show our bad side to the Republicans to get our point across. But I also wanted to touch on that because I'm a vegan. I didn't grow up vegan. I grew up in a very conservative home and I'm vegan now for about two years. And if you wanna do research, whoever's listening, Pigs, when they're babies, they're smarter than than three-year-old toddlers, and they are smarter than dogs. Yep. So these are incredible little beings, like little beings that God created not to eat, but to live on this planet with us. And like you said, you're very, very bright. Methane, all these things attribute to like a lot of our health issues. If we eat them to the air, to the pollution of our water. So like we're killing ourselves by just being gluttonous. And we have to do a lot more research. And also all the people that have these factory farms, they're doing the same thing, that same kind of oppression that we're fighting for now, for, like, black rights, women's rights. When people used to fight for the Holocaust, we are fighting for all these wonderful rights that we deserve, but we're also forgetting the big part of the animals. And it's all connected. And ever since I became vegan, I have, like, a clear mindset, and I realized, like, wow, like, politics, animals, like, all of this connects
2: it does and it really does
3: I wish, uh, Yeah. thank you and i wish everybody would realize this even if it's one step at a time open your hearts to it and hopefully we can make a better world
2: amen and eat less meat uh, adela thank you for the call yeah. thanks for listening to kpfk in la i appreciate it jamie listening in retellier indiana is that right How are you, Tom? great what's up
4: i just calling you just a fast background. Then My degree is Ag Production and Swine Management. So I spent about eight years working inside confinement operation. I managed two farms, uh, 5,000 head of uh, hogs apiece. And I ventured away from that because of the conditions that I saw for eight years of working inside these farms. In Indiana here, uh, Mike Pence is uh, obviously uh, <laughs> a paradise here. Uh, they're pushing, especially in my county, they're pushing uh, windmills out as being these dangerous contraptions, uh, So, sort of like our commissioners, they're approving uh, hog farms to be built, but saying uh, zoning can't be allowed for wind farms. So that's the kind of thing that's going around in, you know, Republican-controlled areas. They just approved a 7.5 million uh, bio-research uh, facility here in my county that's going to house 4,700 pigs for medical research. And huh. uh, and, they're, and they're fighting windmills coming here because they say they're going to destroy our economy and uh, hurt the environment, basically. That's actually, they're saying it's going to hurt our environment, but they're allowing hog farms, which I studied to work in and everything. But
2: Do you know anybody who's ever tried to take pictures inside any of those hog farms and ended up in jail?
4: Uh, no, not in jail. I, I mean, I worked with them. I know a lot of people that, uh, that still work there. Yeah. Uh, and we never had anybody, while I managed the farms, we never had anybody, uh, come and take pictures. Somebody one time left a pig head in front of the farm, but I think that was a neighbor that was upset with, uh, big hog operations. So they actually yeah. left a pig head on the stake in front of the farm. Wow.
2: Okay. Yeah, I got, I got to run, Jamie, but thanks a lot for the call. That's fascinating. Jennifer Rubin in today's Washington Post points out that this concerns attempted rape. That's... A whole jump over the fence beyond Anita Hill's assertion that Clarence Thomas was basically harassing her, making her uncomfortable, making sexually suggestive comments to her. Trying to rape somebody is just, I mean, that's a whole huge step larger. And trying to rape somebody is a crime. Arguably, what Clarence Thomas did to Anita Hill at the time probably could not have been prosecuted as a crime. Perhaps today it could be because it took place in the workplace, but more likely it would end up being workplace arbitration kind of thing. But this is an actual crime. And the FBI investigated her claims, Anita Hill's claims, within three days total. From beginning to end, it took three days for them to investigate Anita Hill. They could investigate Dr. Christine Ford in two days, just assign 50 or 100 FBI agents to it. No big deal. Easily done. We could get to everything that's going on, find out what's going on. And in this case, unlike the Anita Hill case, in this case, there's a witness. And this witness is this guy named Mark Judge. David K. Johnston just reposted a Facebook post by a fellow by the name of Eric Ruyak. R-U-Y-A-K. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but that's his name. And you can find it presumably on Facebook. He says, a funny bit of full circle nonsense. For those of you who don't know, I went to Georgetown Prep, where both Kavanaugh and Gorsuch went as well. And he's talking about Mark Judge, who's the guy who was in the room with Kavanaugh when Kavanaugh tried to rape Dr. Ford. And he says, when I came forward with allegations regarding Gary Orr, a former priest, sexually assaulting me, Mark Judge, this is Kavanaugh's friend in this despicable story of sexual assault, reached out to alumni, alums, saying that Gary Orr was a great priest and I'd obviously been corrupted by liberalism into a homosexual. And therefore, I was most definitely lying. Then years later, when Orr admitted to raping a whole cadre of children, he said that Orr was raping kids because of the unchecked liberalism at PrEP, and that regardless of whether or not I was telling the truth, I was a homosexual and had it coming. This is what Mark Judge, the guy who is the witness, apparently. Google Mark Judge Gary Orr, O R R, and you will see what a an effing loon this guy is, and with what malice he writes his right wing BS. So for me to hear this SOB is involved in the allegations of Kavanaugh attempting to rape a girl in high school comes as no surprise. It's always the loudest, most arrogant voices who are trying to hide the truth beneath the din of their own pompous voices. And by the way, the story that this woman is telling is one that I know is repeated dozens of times in my four years at PrEP. So maybe he should be in a press conference as well. Meanwhile, remember Tiger Mom, Amy Chow, It's spelled C-H-U-A. She wrote this book, you know, this Tiger Mom book, and became incredibly famous for that. She is a consultant, maybe a professor at Yale Law School, she and her husband. They're, they're a big deal there, this Tiger Mom woman. And she has been prepping people who want to be clerks for federal judges, including Brett Kavanaugh. This is the story by uh, Stephanie Kirschengassner and Jessica Glenza in The Guardian today top professor at Yale Law School, who strongly endorsed Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh as a mentor to women, privately told a group of law students last year that it was, quote, not an accident that Brett Kavanaugh's female law clerks all, quote, look like models and would provide advice to students about their physical appearance if they wanted to work for him. Amy Tra, a Yale professor who wrote a best-selling book on parenting called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, was known for instructing female law students who were preparing for interviews with Kavanaugh in ways they could dress to exude a model-like femininity to help them win a post in Kavanaugh's chambers. One woman told the Guardian, he told me, this is Jeb Rubenfeld, who is the husband of Tiger Mom Lady, who also is an advisor to students at Yale. In one case, Jeb Rubenfeld, also an influential professor at Yale who is married to Chua, told a prospective clerk that Kavanaugh liked a certain look. He told me, you should know that Judge Kavanaugh hires women with a certain look, the woman told The Guardian. Hmm. Be interesting to see some pictures of the women that work for Kavanaugh. Is it true? Does he just hire attractive women? Don't know. And then Chuck Grassley's uh, top staffer in this area basically threatens Dr. Ford that she could go to prison. This is bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Chuck Grassley keeps saying that Mark Sumner is writing about this over at the Daily Kos. Uh, Chuck Grassley keeps pretending, Mark Sumner writes, that he's making things easy for Dr. Ford. The Republicans are doing everything they can to raise the stakes, build the pressure, and paint Brett Kavanaugh as a victim. And Greg Sargent retweeted a tweet from Mike Davis. This is Chuck Grassley's chief counsel for nominations in the Senate. He writes, the tweet is just breathtaking. He says, I personally question Judge Kavanaugh under penalty of felony and five years in imprisonment if he lies. I'm still waiting to hear back from the accusers attorneys who can't find time between TV appearances to get back to me. Unfazed and undetermined, we will confirm Judge Kavanaugh, tweets Mike Davis. So obviously they have no preconceptions and they're eager to make a good faith effort, right? No, they're trying to scare the hell out of her. They're saying, essentially, if her testimony doesn't align with Kavanaugh's, someone's going to jail. And by the way, we're going to confirm Kavanaugh anyway, so he's not the one going to jail. They are absolutely determined that there will be no other witnesses. And they're doing everything they can. Now, Mike Davis has protected his Twitter account, so you can't see the tweet, but you can see Greg Sargent's retweet of it. And you can see the article by Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos about this. So what should she do? If you were Dr. Ford, what would you do thanks for listening to our podcast our podcasts are supported by advertising and i'm really pleased that quip is advertising with our program because they've got an amazing product when was the last time you replaced your toothbrush do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes you know these are important habits that have a huge impact on your health and i grew up with so many misunderstandings about brushing my teeth that I, you know, that frankly, I didn't learn about until I got my Quip electric toothbrush. And they're the ones who told me you only need a little tiny dot of toothpaste, for example, and you don't need to scrub the crap out of your mouth. You just two minutes gently with a toothbrush twice a day. You don't need to do it three times a day. You don't need to get hysterical about it. My OCD had kicked in back when I was a teenager around brushing my teeth, and I think I frankly damaged my gums going nuts with all the electric toothbrushes and stuff. Quip is a really great new electric toothbrush that's gentle and really works. It fixes those problems. It does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stance, modes you don't need. They cost five times as much, and here's the amazing thing. Quip starts at just $25 and you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks, and shipping is free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine, named it one of the best inventions of the year. I agree. Go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now, and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M, and when you do, You're also supporting our program and our podcast. Thank you. Trish uh, in Seattle. Hey Trish, thanks for listening. What's up?
5: Hi, my grandmother died from an illegal abortion. Oh my goodness. It was during the depression. She had five children. I think she was 34. My mother was 10. Her youngest were twins that were 10 months old. So she got pregnant again and uh, her aunt gave her the abortion and it killed her. And that changed uh, my family's, uh, my whole family's life for generations. Yes. Um, My mother at 10 was trying to raise her, her family, you know, her younger siblings, and the twins ended up living with other relatives. And my mother's relationship with her only sister was more like a cousin because she barely saw her. Mm-hmm. because her aunt was afraid that if she let the kids be with their siblings they'd want to live there and so it it became complicated and um it was difficult it was difficult for everyone in the family because they had no mother and no money and it it was just a horrible situation and one of my points is that women are not going to stop having abortions when they become illegal again right because i i grew up in a time when they were illegal, I had friends that had abortions. I, I knew someone in high school that died from an illegal abortion. So it's, it's a very real thing. Women, when they're desperate, are still going to have an abortion.
2: Yeah, I've I've told the story many times. I knew a, a girl in my high school who just stopped coming to school one day because it turned out she had died. She had an illegal abortion and had apparently gotten septic. You know, it got infected and, and yes, died from that which is typically happened to
5: my grandmother and all the children had to go into the room to say goodbye and see her uh dying and um, i guess she had it was just horrible
2: yeah frankly i'd never even thought about what the impact would be on the family now as a as a parent and grandparent um you know imagining what would happen if if your daughter died as a result of an illegal abortion and Mm -hmm. how that would be just devastating to to the family of that that girl that was in my high school I didn't know her personally I just knew of her but I think most people Trish who were old enough to be of age prior to 1973 which apparently includes you and me um, have these stories to tell and there's this Mm -hmm. entire generation of young women under what 40 who have grown up in a world where abortion is legal and safe and, and broadly available although I get it that there's a lot of states where it's harder and harder to get but if you have the money, it's still not as difficult and you can always fly to a state where it's very Great. easy to get. And those stories are gonna change after Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. The stories of safe abortion are gonna start becoming the stories that you and I are talking about from pre-73. And that I yeah. think is I think it's gonna devastate the Republican Party, I really do. I, I could be wrong, somebody tweeted to me uh, a little bit ago saying, oh, you know, the Republicans will be just fine. I don't think so. Trish, thank you for sharing your story, that's, that's amazing. Thank you so much it's good to hear from you candida in seattle listening to our Pacific affiliate there 91.3 fm you have some thoughts on dr ford
1: yes good morning i absolutely which is easy for me to say because i'm not in her shoes but i absolutely think and hope that she will stand her ground and continue i consider her a hero for what she's doing i can't imagine how on all the different levels how hard this must have been for her to come forward, for one, to have to relive the trauma, which must be immense, and then also, of course, the impact that she predicted, which is now coming true, which is that she's got death threats and has had to move, and the impact on her family. Yeah,
2: not not just her, but her husband and her kids as well. I mean, it's just just rolling right across. The right-wing trolls are going after everyone.
1: I'm sure she saw this coming and she decided to come forward anyhow. So I hope that she will continue to stand her ground. But you know, I've been listening I've been listening to you for a long time, your program and I've been listening this week and hearing callers also call in and some people minimizing it, relating it to the statute of limitations and yeah. innocent until proven guilty and it's just
2: I think those are callers in- who are being paid by the Republican Party, frankly. Or yeah. people who are just, you know, tuning around Serious X M or other places listening to right wing radio and thinking, well, we'll call into the Progressive Show. But yeah, Yeah. Candida.
1: I would ask, what can we do to support her, you know, to reach out to our leaders in Washington to let them know that we want an investigation? The
2: main thing that you can do right now to support her is to call every single senator on that Judiciary Committee, starting with Grassley and Feinstein. That would be the first thing to do. The number is 202-225-3121. Mark in Valley, Washington. Hey, Mark, what's up?
0: think that she should get her attorney to maybe find one or two other women that can collaborate, hearing about the story or knowing about it and do like an Adonati media blitz because they're going to push him through no matter what. The only recourse is that.
2: Maybe i'm, I'm thinking that might be your here. best option too. would be to say okay you know if you're not going to put the and see her attorney shouldn't have to find those other people that should be the job of the fbi i think though that if she were to say to the senate you know if you guys are not going to do an fbi inquiry i'm not going to do your song and dance or i'm going to turn it against you and i'm going to do a huge media blitz on this thing and i'm going to take my case to the american people i just don't know if she has the personality to do that i mean taking on literally the entire republican establishment about 25 percent of america and the billionaires behind it is going to be a real challenge mark it's going to be a real big challenge rj in san jose listening on am 910 hey rj what's up hi tom
0: i wanted to just weigh in on the reaction to the the accusation i represent sexual harassment plaintiffs in the workplace Mm -hmm. and you're getting this whole this particular way of thinking, well, like why didn't she come sooner, etc. And to me, just represents it's a very, very particular way of thinking, which is just you know old white entitled male thinking that listens to a complaint that way, and it happens in sexual harassment uh, complaints I, all the time. Like I absolutely agree, white. but and,
2: and the and the reality is that the eleven Republicans on this panel that will be judging what she says and what Kavanaugh says are old white men. Yeah, but I wanted to
0: say one more thing about that, because it's funny. I don't just represent sexual harassment, but a couple times a year I'll get a whistleblower claim, and a lot of times it's an older white male because they know the ropes and they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's funny. They have exactly the same fears. They have exactly the same reaction. And they have exactly the same response, right? It's sort of a reflective suspicion of them. Because they're ratting out the tribe, right? So Mm. they're just as afraid to come forward, right? But you would never hear, say, a Republican say, well, we should be suspicious of that guy because, you know, geez, you know, who knew, right? And it's been five years, right? It's always about somebody who isn't part of the, you know, the example of the conventional thinking, conventional wisdom. It's always a woman or a person of color. Well, it's almost, a, it's almost
2: like it's a club. I mean, Louise walked in to yeah. work with me this morning. She's answering the phones today. And she was telling me that when she was in high school, she went to a rather upscale high school, public high school in East Lansing, you know, where Michigan State is. And East Lansing High School had a, you know, there was a large contingent of low income kids. The Most of them came from a low income project called Tower Garden. But there was also all these kids from, something estates. I'm forgetting the first word. My apologies to Louise for that. But there were these rich preppy kids. And she was like, all the girls, you know, we all knew who were the guys who would try to sexually assault you. And they were always the jocks. It was always the rich preppy kids. They were the ones that we had to worry about. And, you know, there was a little network of, uh, hey, look out for so-and-so. And And her thought was, if the FBI actually gets involved and goes back and starts interviewing some of their classmates, they're going to hear these stories and that's probably why the republicans don't want the fbi involved why the republicans are fighting bringing in the fbi tooth and nail and the fbi did this entire investigation on anita hill in three days they put like a hundred agents on it they could do the same thing right now so Yeah, yeah last
0: thing tom about this i hope that at some point or other this again fuels or engenders a conversation about how we raise boys because i tell you what yeah. It starts then, and at some point, you know, boys don't necessarily—I I, believe—think they're entitled to chattel. But at some point or other, we all become conditioned in a little way to thinking that, and have to resist it or have to deal with it. And it's just—it's a pernicious conversation. Yeah. I and think it's partly parenting, but
2: it's—but it's—but it's larger. It's—it's the—it's the overall culture as well, and we all have yeah. uh, have a role in changing that. RJ, thank you for the call. Heather, you are on the air.
6: I would really like to see women get out immediately and do a second women's March Mm -hmm. every woman I know has had to deal with something like this in their past and the men that did this did it at a young age or an older age they knew that they had the power and they knew that women are in a vulnerable position women have had it I think this is going to kickstart a huge backlash against the GOP, but also against the far-right Christians, too. Women are seeing their rights and their agency over their own bodies threatened with this. And what we need is allies of men, like that previous caller who really hit it with, we have to raise boys correctly. And I think that what the, what the Christian right doesn't see is that this is going to backlash against them. And what men really aren't getting, that this is a really big deal for women. Kavanaugh's appointment is huge to us. And now we have a woman who is putting her not only her life, but her family's life on the line now. Yes. So I'm really, really urging, if any... Of the leaders of the women's march are listening. Kickstart this again.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well said. Very, very well said. Thank you, uh, Heather. I appreciate the call. Um, Susie in Eureka, Montana. Hey, Susie. Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up?
7: Hi, Tom. I wanted to speak a little bit about the culture of mm-hmm. the college prep boarding schools. Right. I would have had kind of unfortunate life where my folks died when I was twelve. And people didn't know what to do with me, mm-hmm. so I went to a really expensive boarding school in North Texas mm-hmm. for one year, and it was horrendous hmm. the The people there were all from the very ultra rich mm-hmm. um which was new to me and that's where it was the seventies, so it was a decade earlier. Mm -hmm. Than the boarding schools that we've been hearing about on the news, but um, the culture was, yeah, it was maybe a little more permissive because it was the Mm seventies. But that's where, for instance, you know, I who had never even considered it learned to hitchhike Mm -hmm. in order to get to a liquor store Mm -hmm. as a fifteen-year-old and and buy booze. Boys and girls were always in the wrong dorms at night. Not me, personally, Mm -hmm. but the overriding culture was that it was a warehouse,
2: Hmm. basically,
7: for rich people to send their kids to.
2: Amazing.
7: And the kids were way out of control compared to the high school I went to in Austin, Texas.
2: Susie, thank you for sharing your story with us. I I have no basis, no reference for it. I appreciate your, your experience. Linda in Chicago listening to Chicago's progressive talk. Hey Linda, what's up?
8: Hey, you had a gentleman caller a while ago and um it really set me off my rocker. Men have to understand one thing. Women in life through history have always been taught to be docile, to be quiet, to shut up, to not be listened to completely. I have a husband like that. Okay, But I was raped by a sibling, a sibling. And on my mother's deathbed, she asked me if it was true or not when I had already told her it was true, questioning me. That's how women were brought up, to 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 not believe women, women not to believe women. I don't know if it was because they can't handle the truth, or they can't accept it. But I want to put a challenge out there towards men, even you, to sit down in your office and a CEO or just a guy who works with women at Target or wherever, to sit down with five, six, one woman and listen to them and say, how are you dealing with this? What can I help you with? Did this happen to you? And I guarantee you if you have six women in there, Two, three will raise your hand that they were molested, raped, whatever done to them.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing it's more An like three or four. Way. Yeah. Linda, excellent point. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for the call and for saying it. Um, uh, uh, very, very heartfelt. Peter in Mills River, North Carolina. Peter, you're on the air.
0: Hey, Tom.
9: Okay, let me just say that this doesn't happen only to women. But when it does happen, I was sexually assaulted when I was like 13 years old by an adult woman. And you remember every detail. It never escapes you. I'm now 77. And I can remember where, when, what was around me, my surroundings. So when they doubt this lady's memory, they're doing a terrible misservice to the whole movement of getting things corrected in this nation. They need to postpone this clown's investigation. They need to do a thorough investigation of him
2: totally yeah and of her allegations and also i think of mark judge his buddy who brags about this bizarre machismo that he has apparently pursued his whole life Oh,
0: definitely but they need to do it by either fbi
9: or
0: i don't
2: know No, it's the fbi that's they have the they have the means to do it and they also have the legal authority they could put you in jail for lying to them so yeah i'm with you If you want the absolute best shirts around, you have to go to CT Shirts. I want you to try them because once you do, you'll never go back to some random shirt off the shelf of a department store. Plus, CT Shirts come in custom sizes, so you're not messing with ill-fitted sleeve lengths or neck sizes. It's time to step up your game and look your best, so I got you a special CT Shirts deal. Three CT Shirts for $99. CT Shirts use the softest, most exquisite fabrics ever. Work or casual, tie or no tie, tucked or untucked, when you're wearing a CT shirt, you will look your best. So here's the deal. One CT shirt normally costs $100, but right now you'll get three CT shirts for just $99. That's 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. If you hurry, 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts. So go to www.ctshirts.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's www.ctshirts.com slash Tom. Jerry Macassan has a new book, On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope, which in some ways reminds me of Studs Terkel. I mean, his last book, which is the same argument, but from a very different point of view. DeRay, you're not familiar, which is probably unlikely, but he's a civil rights activist, community organizer, host of Crooked Media's podcast, Pod Save the People. Fortune Magazine named him number 11 in the world's greatest leaders, Harvard's Black Man of the Year in 2016, uh, he's with the Black Lives Matter movement, of course, co founder of Campaign Zero. DeRay, welcome to the program. It's good to be here. It's great to have you with us. So, tell us about your middle of the night realization that led you to drive nine hours to Minneapolis.
10: Yeah, so my friend got killed on August 9th, and uh, on August 16th, I was sitting on my couch and I was like, I saw what was happening on CNN. That looked like the protesters were wrong. I saw what was happening on Twitter. It looked like the police are wrong. And I was like, I need to go see for myself what's happening. So, I met up with people who were on the ground already and that changed everything. The second night that I was in St. Louis was the first night that I was tear gassed and I was like, nobody should ever have to experience this. I'll do whatever I can to make sure.
2: This was around the Michael Brown killing?
10: Yeah, around Michael Brown's death. And I was like, I'll do whatever I can to make sure this never happens." So, and you know, the rest
2: is history. Wow, you've come a long way. You pointed out to me in our conversation before we came on the air, uh, chapter three, it's, a, it's kind of the most autobiographical chapter. What are the high points that you'd like to, you'd like people to know about? So in the book, I talk about things that you'd
10: expect, like the police and and the protests. Uh, But in Chapter 3, really a deep dive into some of the things that we know now that we just didn't know before. So Mm -hmm. we created the first public database of police union contracts and use of force policies in the country. So you think about things like, uh, I don't know if you knew that in California, there's a law that says that any investigation of an officer that lasts more than a year can never result in discipline, regardless of the outcome. Really? It's a wild. law? Law, it's the law. Oh my God. In Cleveland, in the police union contract, it says that they destroy police officer disciplinary records every two years. That's wild. nuts. And the law in Maryland says that you can file an anonymous complaint against an officer for everything except brutality. So wow. we did a lot of work to uncover. And these are, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. We did a lot of work around the policies and practices that almost guarantee that officers won't be held accountable. And the second part is we did a lot of data work. So, you know, the government can tell you the rainfall in rural Missouri in 1902, but literally can't tell you how many people were killed last year by the police. Okay. There have been some years where uh, Florida, for instance, has reported zero killings by police and like we know that's not true so we did a lot of data cleansing to try and figure out what was going on and learned a lot of things. So we know that black people are actually more likely to be unarmed and not threatening uh, than any other race of people in, impacted by police violence. We know that there's no relationship between police violence and community violence. So we learned a lot of things, and that's in Chapter 3.
2: Yeah, the the uh, you, you write right. One, one in every three people killed by a stranger in this country is killed by a police officer. Is k- killed by a cop. And an additional 50,000 people are hospitalized every year as a result of violence inflicted upon them by police.
10: Yeah, it's wild. So we,
2: one of the recognitions...
10: was that, like, this is not just a problem in Ferguson and St. Louis, it's a problem in the
2: country. Yeah. I wrote an article some time ago about how modern policing in many ways, particularly in the South, came out of the old slave patrols. Right. And how essentially the worldview is still a slave patrol worldview. In fact, I wrote a book about this, which won't be out until next spring, but same thing, the, The Hidden History of the Second Amendment, and how that all came out of the slave patrols as well. How do we fix this?
10: I think there are a couple of things. One is like a recognition that we can think about safety beyond policing, that there has to be a way that we can keep communities safe that doesn't require people to have guns, that doesn't require people to be arrested and put in cages. The second is, as we get to that vision, that bigger vision, it is about, at the very least, if we have to have the police right now, then they need to be held accountable. So mm-hmm. when we looked at all the practices and laws that almost guarantee they won't be held accountable, we're no longer shocked. We're like, oh, it makes total sense that, like, you're not held accountable. If the investigation lasts more than a year, it can't result in discipline. Like, that's wild. The second piece, too, or the third piece is, like, how do we start to peel back, like, how mass incarceration became mass? Mm-hmm. So you think about, like, uh, tell me something you can buy for $300. You mean right now? Anything. Yeah. A cheap phone? A cheap phone. So in Florida, to this day, theft over $300 is a felony. And when you become a felon, you permanently lose the right to vote. It's wild. Yeah. So, like, you think about when you ask most people what's a felon, they're like, oh, killed 10 people, robbed a bank. It's like, nope. Imagine, so like, stealing a cheap phone. cheap phone, yeah. And, like, you lose the right to vote forever? That's, like, a wild consequence. And part of this is, like, we should just look at, like, What are the things that we consider crimes and start to reevaluate? Does that actually make sense at scale? You know, we arrest more people for weed than all violent crimes combined. That's wild.
2: I know that's crazy. And that, you know, Canada next month is completely legalizing pot all across the country. We 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 need to be doing that. But that $300 thing, I mean, that that's something that should be, I would think, subject to some sort of public pressure. Um, You know, when I was a kid in the 60s, the minimum wage was $1.25 or $1.35 an hour. $600 $600 was six 500 hours of work. Right. Today, $600 is not 500 hours of work. Exactly. And so it, re- it represents a completely different thing. And, you know, not to say that, you know, the threshold should be massively higher than that. In Oklahoma, that. up until
10: 2001, it was $50 it was a felony.
2: That's Jeez. wild. You know, like i
10: probably stolen $50 worth of something by mistake, you know, just like <laughs> forgetting to go to the counter and like all of a sudden. Uh, but, but people forget those things, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the institution of policing. You write about the golden age of the bully of white supremacy.
10: Yeah, this moment. So that chapter, the chapter is called The Bully in the Pulpit. And in that chapter, uh, I use the metaphor of the bully to think about, like, what is happening in this current context. Somebody asked me would I ever uh, meet with Trump. And it was like, you know, I don't my job isn't to tell the bully that I'm a real person. The bully already knows. Right. Like mm. he already knows that that is real. So that's what that chapter is a meditation on. Uh, I'm also interested in, like, how we start to think about um, like some of the things that aren't as sexy around like general inequity. So like, do you know why kids uh, eat paint chips? Like lead paint chips. Do you know what Sweet, lead it's is sweet. sweet.
2: Did you? How did you yeah. know that? I I grew up in in a house that had lead. And <laughs> it's sweet. I had no clue. That's right. So when I you think it of, when, I was a when
10: you think about it being sweet, and you think about the period of time in this country where we mandated that the paint and housing projects be lead based paint. Yeah. It's like if I didn't think there was a conspiracy before, I'm like convinced it is now. You know? Yeah. And like, how do we start to peel all of those things back when we think about the work of justice?
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's big stuff. Tell me, your blue vest has become a logo for you. You're, you wear it wherever you go. You're in media appearances and things. Tell us about it.
10: Yeah, I write about it in the book, but it reminds me of... You know, we were in the street for four hundred days. So if you ever start some marching, it wasn't that we thought marching was cool, it was that it was illegal to stand still. And we couldn't stand still in August, September, October 2014. If we sit still violate
2: the loitering laws, right? No, they
10: made a new rule called the five second rule. So if you sit still oh, for more would. than five seconds, you were arrested. It was like a wild thing. Wow. The police, I think, thought that we were gonna we were gonna be tired and go home and instead we were like, well, if we gotta walk all day, you gotta walk all day. And like that sort we just walked all day and all night and uh the vest re- you know i started wearing it when it got cold because we been in the street for a long time and i needed something that i could wear that i never have to pack and today it just reminds me it's like my tattoo you know yeah. it reminds me that what we went through was real i never want to forget how fragile democracy is how easy it was for them to make up a rule being like you can't stand still for more than five seconds like, this is in
2: ferguson this either? is
10: in st louis he yeah, was like in the Saint region louis. but i never want to i never want to forget those things
2: yeah yeah good idea um the the uh Distinction between whiteness and white people. This concept of whiteness is a social construct that has been turned into a legal construct that has become, you know, again, I, going back to the slave patrol thing. This, you know, this idea of weight, speak to that.
10: Yeah, you know, the chapter's called The Choreography of Whiteness and like trying to help people name things. So, like, we think about white supremacy as the idea that white people are better, more worthy, and are normal, or, like the standard for normal. We think about whiteness as the culture that that has just birthed and how that, like, it's like a smog, right? It seeps mm-hmm. into everything. And then we think about people, like, white people as a people who benefit from those things, whether they intentionally perpetuate them or not. Uh, and we think about the recognition of white privilege. It's a, a recognition that like, people benefit from something they didn't necessarily work for, uh, but they do benefit at scale. And the most important thing that white people can do when they sort of have that recognition of privilege is understand, like, not only do they benefit at the personal level, but there's something at the system level that even, like, allows that to happen. So the chapter sort of deals with, like, denial and white guilt and shame and, like, how whiteness sort of manifests as people are trying to work through it.
2: How do we... uh, this, This is a change, a fundamental change that has to happen, it seems to me, in large part, within the white community. And white people need to be talking to white people about this. Yeah, absolutely. What's the best way to do that? So I
10: think some of it is starting where you are, right? Saying, like, here are the issues that I think are important and, like, saying we should do something about them. Uh, The second is, like, knowing an issue really well. So one of the things that I find when I travel across the country is that people sort of know top-line issues, but they actually, like, you're like, they're like, Drew, I want to do something about mass incarceration. You're like, what do, you, what do you care about with mass incarceration? And they're like, mass incarceration? And you're like, that's not helpful, right? Like, what part that's of the... That's bumper sticker. Yeah, like, the, the system is very big. So I, there are enough problems that we can actually align the work to, like, whatever you're interested in and, like, people need to be interested. And the third is that what white people can do that people of color just can only do differently is like use the access and the resources to really challenge systems in a way that they just won't push back as hard on you because you're white. So what does it mean? You know, I think about being in Austin when the Austin organizers got the whole city council to vote against the police union contract unanimously mm. is that it was actually powerful that there were so many white people came up and said like, this just isn't right, right? Like this is this is a racial justice issue. This is also just an equity issue. This also just isn't fair. And they aren't, you know, in Austin, they're not impacted in the same way by the police, but they understood that like it meant something important for the city council to say like, we care too and we are constituents. So some of it is
2: that. It seemed to me for some time, uh, for f- five, maybe 10 years now, that this disruptive technology of having a camera in every phone and having a phone everywhere uh, brought us all these videos of police killing unarmed black men that just became the, the wallpaper of the last five years or more, but really breaking through into the press. And that this has created a moment, an opportunity, uh, uh, you know, an, an awareness and an awakeness among um, you know white people who were not paying attention before right. uh, that, that needs to be exploited. Um,
10: and the awareness is good. You know, the challenge is that the outcomes haven't changed. Right. right. So in four years, we have definitely started a national conversation about race and justice in a way that just didn't exist four years ago. Um, the outcomes are still really bad. So the question becomes, how do we make sure that people don't get stuck in the awareness cycle? Right. That they're like, oh, I know this is really bad. Because the question is, like, what do we do? And you even think about like Stefan Clark being killed in Sacramento is that what came out of that is people started like a million dollar opportunity fund and like, yes, there should be opportunity, but remember the lack of opportunity isn't what killed Stefan Clark, right? right? Like it was the police. Yeah. So how do we start to like make sure that the solutions that we put forth like are good solutions for the actual problem that manifested and not like other problems?
2: Yeah, yeah. Politics has become polluted with this. There's been, you know, for some time, progressives, progressive politicians have been talking about the need for addressing racial issues, but it seems like we're way behind on that. Oh, I'm sorry, we're hitting the break here. I, I thought I had another minute. DeRay McKesson, uh, his new book is On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope. DeRay, thanks so much for being with so us. to be here. It's great to meet you. And Pod Save the People from Crooked Media. So check it out. DeRay, thank you very much. Great having you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our podcasts are supported by advertising, and one of our advertisers is Harry's. By now, you probably know that I love shaving with Harry's. Nate uh, loves shaving with Harry. In fact, everybody I know who's tried Harry's is like, whoa, this is incredible. You get an amazingly close shave with Harry's, a smooth, comfortable glide with their perfectly weighted razor. It's incredible. If you add Harry's fantastic smelling shave gel, you have the perfect recipe for the best shave you'll ever have. Harry's does all this, and at a great price, too. They own their own world-class blade factory in Germany, where they grind steel into sharp, durable blades that are made to last, and they pass the savings along to you. Don't confuse Harry's with those other pricey online brands that force you to subscribe. With Harry's, you can resupply whenever and however you want. Auto refills or one-off a la carte, your choice. And at just two bucks a cartridge, that's less than half the price of Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. For a limited time only, Harry's has a special offer for listeners of my podcast new customers get five dollars off a shave set from harry's with the code tom t-h-o-m at harrys.com that means you get the starter set five blade razor weighted handle foaming shave gel travel cover all for just three bucks plus free shipping when you use the code tom t-h-o-m at harrys.com join the millions of guys who've already switched including me and go to harrys.com today use the code tom at checkout to claim your offer this is the tom hartman program Eleanor in Champaign, Illinois, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Eleanor, what's on your mind?
11: Oh, hi, Tom. Hi, Eleanor. Uh, What's on my mind relates to possibly Kavanaugh and also the anti-abortion people. I used to be a social worker. I have had cases that people need to take care of who believe in anti-abortion, number one. A gonorrhea pregnancy, which resulted in a baby that couldn't see, couldn't hear, had no muscle control, and just lays in residential care. Mm-hmm. And number two, a child is painfully addicted when they're born. Number three, I had a case where the father raped a developmentally disabled daughter. The daughter grew up, prevented her mother, raped her, and beat her with her boyfriend. Let them take care of these people.
2: and see what they
9: go
11: through,
2: these children. Somebody called into the show uh, a little bit ago. Louise was telling me this story and he says, "Uh, boy, I sure am glad that Brett Kavanaugh is gonna save all those babies. And and my response would be, they're not interested in saving babies. They're interested in saving fetuses. Once they become babies, once they're born, it's to hell with them. We have the highest childhood mortality rate and maternal mortality rate in the developed world because of Republican policies.
11: Right. And they need to understand that some babies are born that will not be able to function.
2: Yes. And and may live terrible, uh, you know, lives in terrible pain. That's right. Live terrible lives. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Eleanor. Uh, Very, very well said. I encourage you to Google Kavanaugh and environment. Just those two words, Kavanaugh with a K, environment. And what you will find is that on numerous cases... Numerous cases. Brett Kavanaugh has ruled against the environment. And on several of these cases, he's tried to blow up the Chevron deference. And he's been overruled by his colleagues. As Dick Durbin was pointing out, he was overruled by his colleagues when he tried to end the ability of of workers to have a union because some of them were not U.S. citizens. Which, you know, what does that have to do with the National Labor Relations Act? It doesn't say if a citizen... You know, it works in a, you know, it just doesn't. But Kavanaugh is not just a judge. He is, as I said earlier, a Republican activist. He is interested in destroying unions, not because he thinks unions are a bad thing, but because unions typically fund Democratic candidates. Mike in Lomita, California, listening listen KPFK. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
0: Hey, Tom, just want to talk about the uh, petition to impeach Judge Kavanaugh for perjury. Yes, uh- And I wanted to raise the uh, fact that the perjury he's alleged to have committed was over receiving stolen property. Now, as anyone knows who has seen uh, Make Mine Mink, the word for somebody who receives stolen property is a fence, and fences make very good neighbors,
2: but very poor judges. Well, that's interesting. I haven't heard uh, Kavanaugh referred to as a fence, but uh, Kavanaugh is bizarre. I mean, he's just bizarre. This guy, you know, lying through his teeth and believing that he's going to get away with it. I don't see how people can put up with it. You must think he's a tobacco executive. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's the thing. You know, the, the Republican Party, I, you know, I just went through a list of toxic industries. One of the things that was not on my list and certainly should have been is toxic religion. You've got these, these right-wing crazies who actually believe in original sin. They think women are the cause of all our problems. The fact that we are born out of a woman's womb means that we are covered in that original sin and women have to be restrained and controlled and regulated and their bodies regulated because of that original sin which can only be removed by proclaiming christianity etc uh it's it is a bizarre and misogynistic worldview. you know the the, the core of judaism and christianity is, is misogyny is male power male supremacy And Brett Kavanaugh is like it's one of its most articulate spokespeople right now. It's it's incredible. Mike, Mike, thanks a lot for the call. I I need to move along here. I appreciate it. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. Hey, Marta, what's up?
12: Well, a little complex or related question. Are the Democratic politicians, especially our leaders, focusing enough on this issue, which we should, I believe, call global climate disruption instead of change yeah climate change and i've i've heard that are they really emphasizing this or are they and and the liberal media too you're the only one i'm hearing that is really informing us
2: that's because there's no such thing as a liberal media unless you're talking about kpfk or free speech tv you know pacifica that this is our this here's here's your liberal media right here (laughs) but yeah you're right
12: well the definition of Not just you personally, but your show is the definition of of progressive media. And I don't hear anything except obsession with Trump, Russia, and Kavanaugh, which are all important. But this is the crisis that allows us to consider the difference between Republicans and Democrats, and this is why people vote Green Party and Jill Stein, because this is a crisis, and the Democrats are not...
2: My read, Marta, of the Democratic Party is that they are all over climate change. The the large problem that we have is that the media won't pick those stories up. Mark Pocan does a thing on climate change. It doesn't get picked up by any of the media whatsoever. We all need to pay more attention to it. (music) Boy, what a day. Grace is uh, tweeting at me. I'm wondering what kind of lousy background checks the FBI did on Kavanaugh. Perhaps that should be investigated. Heavy drinking, rape attempt rumors, the gambling, the stolen emails, the credit card debt, the dirty conservative operatives, women's dress preferences. How How did they miss all that? Well, that's a very good question uh... anyhow uh... we've got a lot on the table here a lot of stuff that we've been talking about including you know what will happen if brett kavanaugh gets on the supreme court and overturns roe v wade which he has proclaimed is his goal steve in phoenix arizona you wanted to weigh in on the whole Kavanaugh thing
9: you betcha good morning tom uh... that is a devastating story and i i i agree it's it it shouldn't be happening um... Th- bullies they look after their own kind they look after bullies they're there to protect their own. And Republicans. They they bullied the Democrats into releasing uh, relinquishing Obama's um, Supreme Court pick, and it continues today with Kavanaugh. Right. You know, there's really no transparency to any of this. You know, they've they've released what 10% of the documents. Yep. Um, and and they don't want to want us to find anything about um, Kavanaugh's dealings with uh, the Ford woman um what, what is this you know it, it, all it is it it's it's all roads lead back to the underlying issue which is tax cuts you know for the wealthy and deregulation and this this woman has She's, she's a um, college degree, very professional woman. She has nothing to gain by coming forward at this point in time and uh, other, you know, and everything to lose. And, it's, and, I, and I, she needs to be listened to and her t- story taken seriously.
2: Yeah. Somebody tweeted that she's going to be on 60 Minutes November 4th. I can't verify that or confirm that. But if so, it's going to be very, very interesting. Steve, thank you. Um, and spot-on. Gail in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Gail, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up?
13: Hi. Uh, thank you. Uh, can you hear me?
2: Just fine. Yeah.
13: Okay. Um, I was listening to Mike Papantonio, American's lawyer, last night, mm-hmm. and he um, reminded, was talking about how many judges, Mitch McConnell, uh, and uh, Trump are appointing to appellate courts and other lesser federal courts while all this hoop the law is going on uh, in the news about this one appointee to the supreme court ju- you know it, yeah there 's a
2: larger uh, strategy at work here you're absolutely oh, right. much
13: larger and and it's it 's really insidious because so many environmental cases or people versus corporations are going to be coming up to those courts uh, over the next 10, 20 years, and they'll all be decided in favor of corporations.
2: And rich people. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. And, and they have been to a large extent, uh, you know, for the last 20 years or so. Uh, this, this is a multi generational effort, the Federalist Society, to, to bring up these uh, right wing cranks and put them in uh, positions where they can make law as judges. Using using judicial review and judicial it, supremacy,
13: and and there's nothing being said about it on the regular news. Nothing. Yeah. We don't hear anything about it. it. It's it's just horrible. I mean, we it, it it even gave me less hope, you know, that anything can change because these these old white men. Are setting things in concrete, it seems like.
2: And that's who Trump is appointing, by the way, you know, disproportionately male and disproportionately white. Gail, thank you. We we should get um, Mike Papatonio on to talk about that. That sounds like a great topic and the kind of thing that he'd be all over. Carol in Montana, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? I
5: wish they quit tippy toeing around what Kavanaugh has committed here or appears to have committed here is not sexual assault or. harassment. What he committed or is accused of committing. It's attempted rape. statutory rape. rape.
2: Right. Attempted. But
5: yes. Because she had been drinking and she was underage.
2: Yep. She was 15. It doesn't matter. It was statutory rape. I agree. And this is why you need the FBI to investigate this. We're talking about a crime here
7: amen
2: yeah okay carol thanks a lot very very well said and i appreciate your calling in from montana uh tim in cedar grove north carolina hey tim what's on your mind today
7: well i, I was wondering what you think the gop which i consider the government of putin but the gop if they're uh, what are they going to run on if they if they are able to make abortion illegal
2: they're going to they're going to allow individual states to make it illegal. I guarantee you. if Brett Kavanaugh is put on the Supreme Court by the end of next year, Roe v. Wade will be overturned.
7: But what will the Republicans then run on? They've been running on this for 40 some odd years. What are they going to yeah. run on now?
2: That's a good question because I think that this is going to backfire on them badly once. Uh, You know, you've got a you've got a generation of women who have no idea what it's like to live in a society where abortion is illegal, where women are dying from back alley abortions, where people are going to prison for getting abortions or for providing abortions. And when we slide into that world. I mean, the, the, the women who, who became the women's movement of the, of the 60s and 70s knew that world well. You know, abortion was not decriminalized until 1973. Most of us, most people of my age, you know, know about if they don't know somebody who died from a bad uh, back alley abortion or don't know somebody who had an illegal abortion, they know of somebody who did. I, 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 there was a girl in my high school class who died from an abortion, an illegal abortion, that, you know, she got an infection. And and just didn't come back to school anymore. And well, I don't think you know, Democrats press that fact? I don't it think they do either.
7: Stop, it's not going to stop abortion. It's just going to make abortion more dangerous.
2: That's absolutely right. And and it may take a decade. It may take a few years for Republicans to put into into place these draconian laws and for them to piss off enough women, uh, you know, who, who young women who are who are coming up and saying, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, You know, something happens. I have an accident. This you know, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I planned. I should have I should have the right to control my own body. This is not just a personal issue and not just a privacy issue. It's also an economic issue, which which makes it an issue of power. And, And of course, it was an issue of power from the get go. And and I think that, you know, if the Republicans get their way. They're going to they're going to discover that suddenly they're far more radioactive than they thought they were. They've 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 been can't pay to pandering to the small minority of hardcore Catholics and evangelicals up to this point. And I don't think it's going to wash. You know, we've been talking about Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Christine Ford, uh, Christine Blasey Ford and whether uh, you know what her strategy should be. Should she just do a whole, you know, do the full Michael Avenatti and go out and do a whole media thing and just bury these Republicans in their own BS? Um, you know, if they're unwilling to, to put the FBI on this job, it only took three days for the FBI to investigate Anita Hill's accusations. And they came back and said, could be, could be. We, we haven't been able to find any evidence one way or the other. But Anita Hill did not have a witness who was afraid to lie to the FBI. And, you know, there's a big question, will Mark Judge lie to the FBI if he's interrogated, if he's questioned? For that matter, will Brett Kavanaugh lie to the FBI? I think he probably would. He's already lied to the Senate under oath on at least three occasions that we know of. He lied about having uh, participated in spreading stolen Democratic documents. He lied about having received them. He lied about knowing that they were stolen when the headline was, you know, the spy, uh, you, know, in the, you know, stolen documents, essentially. I mean, we know that Brett Kavanaugh is a liar which makes him you know, the perfect guy for Donald Trump. We know that Brett Kavanaugh thinks that uh, Republican presidents should be able to do anything they want without interference from special prosecutors and things like that. We know that Brett Kavanaugh was the guy who was on Ken Starr's staff who encouraged Ken Starr to reopen the investigation into Vince Foster, terrorizing him horrifying his family and rewounding them all over again. And that he pushed it and pushed it and pushed it to the point that they went back to his family, to Vince Foster's family, to get hair for DNA analysis. Yes, maybe, maybe Hillary Clinton did kill him. I mean, that's, honest to God, Brett Kavanaugh was pushing this when he was in Ken Starr's office. But now that you got a Republican president, oh no, we should not be investigating presidents. And of course, that's why Donald Trump said, put him on the Supreme Court. He's as corrupt as I am, Trump says. So how does Christine Ford, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, handle this? If she has the personality, if she has the personal ability, and and that's something that we don't know. If she has the personality to do a Michael Avenatti, she should go, in my opinion, she should go into the Senate and she should totally kick those guys' asses. She should call them out as old white men, the Republicans. She should point out their hypocrisy. She should point out that an FBI investigation could have been done in three days and and just nail them. If she doesn't have the personality for that, then I think that she should be doing a media blitz. If she doesn't have the personality for that, then I think, you know, she's done what she can do, but, and her family's in hiding. So a lot, this is gonna depend on her. She has to make these choices and decisions based on what she's capable of doing. How much can she take? How far can she go in, you know, in the media world and, and going up against these senators? This is really tough stuff. I get on the radio and TV all the time and it still scares the hell out of me. I can't imagine being in her position. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. It's the only way it works is if you show up, get out there, get active tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman.
0: For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.